Good afternoon, everyone. Phil Hodgkinson here with the very first interview for the Real DR podcast. My guest today is Tim Hall, and we are here enjoying the wonderfully impressive views of the North Coast of the Dominican Republic from the heart of his own creation, the very beautiful and peaceful Tubagua Eco Lodge. Tim hails from Montreal, Canada, and he was a journalist before moving to the Dominican Republic in 1983. He speaks French, English, and Spanish, and recently celebrated his 30th year as Honorary Canadian Consul for the North Coast. Tim is actively involved with the sustainable tourism throughout this area, helping to support local businesses and communities, not least de devoting time and effort to help research the local coffee industry amongst a myriad of other things. We find ourselves today sitting in the middle of one of the Dominican Republic's most historically significant regions. And I can't wait to find out more. And I also can't think of anyone better to be our first official guest than Tim Hall. Welcome to The Real DR, Tim. It's a pleasure to be able to talk with you this, after, this afternoon. Now, before we get started, I just want to ask you, What's it like to live in this beautiful place? And what's it like to wake up here uh, to this magnificent view every day? This has been, I think that we've found the best place to live. The, uh, the climate is, is ideal. We've got breezes all the time. We're about 10 degrees cooler than down at the coast. Um, the neighbors are families that have lived for generations in the homes that they're in. And it's very peaceful. And of course, we got these amazing views that, that uh, are hard to beat. Yeah. So uh, we, we lucked out. Just, just, to, just to try and give a, an, an idea of what we're looking at here. And we've got the whole, we've got the whole of the coast here, which would be from, I guess, all the way over past Puerto Plata, as far as what, Cabaretti, how many miles would that be? You can't really see Cabaretti, but you can see the, the, the coastline uh, of Sasua, the part that goes out to, you know, Playa Alicia and around the corner from there. And, and I would imagine some incredible sunsets here, eh? Beautiful sunsets. We can see Playa Dorada, we can see the airport, uh, the sugarcane fields, uh, and the Isabel de Torres mountain, we can't see the city lights at night. They're, they're blocked by the mountain, but that's okay. That's all right. Better for the stars, isn't it? It is. Now, crazy thing is, 450 years ago, there would have been pirate ships uh, sailing along there, wouldn't there? Now there's pirate cruise ships. <laughs> <laughs> now, the first thing I want to ask you, Tim... And, and got to start off at the beginning. You, you, were, a, you were a reporter in, in Montreal. But the, what I want to ask you, what was it that brought you to the Dominican Republic? How come you came here? And what made you decide to stay? Well, I was an aspiring journalist in Montreal. I was looking for my way into that, and I was making my way into that. And uh, at one point, uh, some friends, Canadian girl, Dominican guy, were coming to spend, who were together, 
we're coming to spend the winter here. And I said, well, I'll come visit you. So I had that on my agenda for that winter. And I got this idea, maybe somebody wants a, an article about Dominican Republic. And I fished around and got some interest from the Toronto Star. So long story short, I ended up coming down to write for the Canadian market the first uh, story, first travel story about the the new destination called Puerto Plata. And uh, that's how I, how I ended up down here. I was down for seven days. I ran around like a fool. I was taken around like a fool and uh, uh, hardly slept and went back home and wrote an article. And, and uh, uh, a couple of months later, it was it was published and I was impressed. It was the Toronto Star. It's a pretty big newspaper. And uh, so that, uh, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, I came back down again. I was offered a free trip. It was a thank you trip from one of the charter operators, that, the wholesalers that was working at the time. And so I came, he offered me a trip anywhere. And I decided to come back down and, and I, we stayed in Sisua. And that got me going and I started thinking and I, I, uh, I made a deposit on a piece of property in Sisua, in Cabarete, before Cabarete was anything. And, uh, and went home and went through all kinds of contortions and about actually going ahead with this. And I guess it was, that was April and, and June or July, I came back down to see uh, what I was gonna do. And on the way back down, um, there was a, I sat with a, a guy named Felix Jimenez who owned Tour Inter at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, don't know how I bumped into him on the plane, but I did. And we were uh, talking and he, and I was talking about my interest in journalism and. He started talking about Santo Domingo News, and uh, which was a little weekly newspaper at the time that now, by the way, uh, runs the dr1.com uh, website. And um, so on that plane, I said, well, I'm, I'm gonna move down. And I'm gonna figure out how to work as a journalist down there. And- uh, So how, how old would you been at that point? I was 26. 26. Wow. Yeah. So, so I uh, looked up these people at Santo Domingo News and worked out a deal to open a satellite office for them in Puerto, in Puerto Plata. And uh, that put the kibosh on buying the property because the property, uh, I needed to have a proper cash flow, which I had back home, and uh, to pay for this property. So I canceled that and uh, came down one more trip in September just because I couldn't believe what was happening to me. I went to see if it was all real. Right. In July, I rented <laughs> a, a house in Sisua and uh, in Bate and, and uh, I went to see if I actually still had it, but it was for December and everything was in place and everything was normal. And so in December of 83, I, I moved down. Wow. 
Because it would, I mean, it would have been a totally different place back then. I mean, it, it would have been kind of like the Wild West in a way. I mean, the roads, there was no real infrastructure. Had the, had the Canadian tourism, had it, had it really set in at that point? I don't suppose much had it. I think it was the second winter for Toronto and the first winter for Montreal. Yeah. I think that's the way it was at the time. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, there was one hotel on Fighterada. There was the Jack Tar Village, now Blue Jack Tar. And the next hotel that started was a Holiday Inn, which is now, I can't remember what it's called, it's a condo project. Flight of Rod, or isn't it? Oh, it's still, yeah, it's still, I can't remember what the name is. Yeah. One, one thing I've always admired about you, Tim, is, is your, your entrepreneurial spirit. And obviously, making the move to come from Montreal to uh, Dominican Republic as, as, as you did, um, to, to, to try something totally new. Uh, but, but you've always lived on the edge as an entrepreneur, living life on your own terms. and under your own steam. I've, I've always admired that. What, what else did you do? I know, sort of, so, so you got into journalism a little bit. I seem to recall you got a restaurant or something in Puerto Plata back in, back in the early days. Is that right? I did have a restaurant after a while. My journalism career went from the Santo Domingo News, or the, what we call the Puerto Plata News, to uh, buying a little local newspaper in Puerto Plata called uh, El Faro. And I did that with a local businessman. And uh, we turned, it was really a mess, and, and we turned it into a weekly newspaper. And I did that for two years. And uh, then I bumped into this opportunity to do a, a cable TV channel in Santo Domingo, uh, on the cable system in Santo Domingo. So I ended up with a, a contract, a dedicated channel, and I put together uh, about five hours, ended up being about five hours of, uh, of little clips, three, five minute clips yeah. about different topics. And we'd run them on a loop on this channel. And uh, I sold advertising uh, in the loop. So it was, you'd, if you wanted to be in advertising, you're just paying by the month. And so I would uh, update it as much as I could, and it started like at two hours, and we got up to about five hours. And it was it was repetitive, but it was it was designed for tourism, for the hotels. It went to everybody's house at the same time, of course. Uh, but uh, it was very well accepted, and uh, that I worked on for about five years. And I don't know, I. I was never really able to turn the corner and turn it into a big business, like a, you know, a really substantial business. And uh, so at one point I, I let that go. And I, I didn't ever really want to move away from Puerto Plata. So uh, I, I was here in Puerto Plata and I just, well, to survive, I just did a whole bunch of different things. For a while we ran a, kind of like an ad agency and, and we were doing high-end print work uh, for the different uh, for the different real estate projects. We were doing uh, high quality brochures and stuff like that and videos and uh, did that for a while. And I also had a 
a security company that we Jeez, man. <laughs> we you install, done all sorts. We installed about <laughs> 200 different high-end alarms up and down the North Coast. All right. And um, so we wanted to turn that into a, um, you know, a monitoring system, a central monitoring alarm system. Yeah. But we weren't able to get to a critical mass. We weren't able to get that up to, you know, the numbers that were necessary. A lot of my struggles along the way were because I I came down to this country with $2,000. And I didn't have, you know, a a capital base to to lean on to do anything. And maybe I was lucky because probably would have lost it all. Well, that's the true entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it? Though you keep going and keep going and keep trying and, well, that's what we did, and then eventually we had this little warehouse downtown, and we were doing the monitoring in the warehouse, and we were committed to staying up all night. Well, not me, but so we had this cute little spot, and uh, one day we were sitting in the backyard, which was uh, kind of cool because it was high, high cement walls and a really funny staircase up to the roof, and a beautiful mango tree, and a whorehouse in the in the one corner, and and. Uh, Oh, well, in the corner? Yeah, like the neighbor. All right. <laughs> the, the, the little brick windows, you know. And, uh, oh, okay. And you could hear all the goings on. To the, and uh, we we were sitting one Sunday afternoon lamenting the lack of options of things to do in Puerto Plata. We were getting bored with everything that we had going on. And we just had, I think, one beer too many and the next thing you know, we had opened a beer joint. Oh, really? <laughs> of this place. That went from from uh, uh, serving beer to Mark Fernandez, a good friend that you know, uh, donated a, a, a grill, a barbecue, and we started cooking food, chicken, and it was a cute little thing because you go through this alleyway to get to the to the to the courtyard, and and it just caught on, and we the food was. We ended up coming up with a pretty good menu, and and uh, it was a fun little kind of funky place, and and uh, and it worked. So you know, one thing to the next, and uh, we kept. I think alive. that's where I, I think that's where I, I first met you down there. Well, that place. Yeah. Cafe Cito. Yeah, but listen, I've got I've got to ask you. I have to ask you. We're we're uh, we're into Bagua Eco Eco Lodge now, and I. I used to travel a lot from Puerto Plata to uh, to Santiago, and I remember seeing you on this road a long, long time ago, on a trail bike. And and I often want, you know, I thought, what's he doing up here? What, what's he having a look at? And um, I presume you were scouting things out. And I've got to ask you, when when did you first come up with the idea of of creating an an, an eco lodge? When? How long ago was it? Because that. That would have been a long time ago, wouldn't it? Well, the lodge itself uh, never even came to my mind until we actually bought this property and put up a, a family home. So back then, you it took me 10 years to find a piece of... I just loved it. This road, this is uh, the road between Puerto Plata and Santiago that goes through the mountains called the Ruta Panoramica. And it's a uh, beautiful scenic highway 
It was uh, first paved in around 95, 1995. And uh, so there was a lot of traffic. There was no airport in Santiago. For the Plata was Santiago's airport. And there was a lot of traffic back and forth on this highway. And so we would all use it because it was a lot nicer going this way than the other way around with all the trucks and everything. So uh, driving up here and seeing the view as I, I would drive by, um, it just said to me, here is where I want to live. And it took 10 years to find a Out in the country, you got a lot of big parcels of land that some very productive landowner uh, worked until he died. And then his family didn't necessarily do all the work necessary to keep the papers, to do all the paperwork so that titles are, are in place. And so it's hard to find, uh, it's not easy to find a property you can actually buy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I found this one. And, and so it was 10 years after, it was, 19, uh, it was 2005, when um, I was, this actually came for sale and, and I was able to, to buy it. And it was a sort of a segue from Cafecito because Cafecito was dwindling at that time with uh, the market in, in Puerto Plata. Puerto Plata, at the, the year 2000, had about a million tourists. And by 2010, it was down to like 400,000. And uh, so money wasn't being invested here and things weren't keeping up. And uh, Punta Cana was growing and Puerto Plata was, was, uh, was, uh, Dying. Yeah, so, so, you know, it's had its ups and downs, hasn't it, Puerto Plata? You know, and um, it's so, crazy because it's such a beautiful place. <laughs> it really is a beautiful place. So um, the, um, my little restaurant, which was a going concern, it was going okay. Uh, I was losing my customers because my customers were a lot of expats and people who worked in the tourism business. And they were either going belly up and going home, or they were they were uh, migrating to Punta Cana. And the way things were in Puerto Plata, there was no point in trying to reinvent Cafecito as another type of restaurant. There was just it was a depressed city. So that was going down. But the last year, I had made some money and, and bought some land and uh, on the beach somewhere and and. Uh, in a year, was able to flip it, and with that money, I was able to come up here and uh, do get this property. and And first, we build for the family. I didn't have an idea at that time for for having a lodge. So it was like two thousand. By the time we had a, a home here, it was two thousand and six, and and in two thousand seven, I started looking out over here. And, the restaurant was pretty much dead, and I was, I guess I was thinking, what else can I do? And I looked out over this view and said, this is too pretty not to share. And that took me to the idea of, um, well, working with the consulate, I'm, you meet a lot of people, and I met this lady that uh, comes from Canada and brings student groups, 
and uh, they do different kind of works and they were uh, they fixed up a lot of schools in the area and uh, I said well I should make a I should make a lodge I could make a lodge for those kind of people for those kind of groups so that was my niche concept and uh, I actually we worked together to set up a place that would accommodate her people and that's what uh, what got us going so we actually opened in 2008 I had no idea in 2005 or 1995 that I would be running a, a, a hospitality. Wow. It just all happened. So it was kind of, you know, it's just a, a, a you know, a, a kind of a natural transition. Or... Uh -huh. And it was amazing. It just all happened. Sometimes things just work. Yeah. I mean, you must have had some challenging moments while you've lived here in Dominican Republic. Well, what would you say was the most challenging moment, the most challenging time in your time here? You know, well, you know, was there ever a point when you thought, you know, just gonna, enough. <laughs> Did you ever have one of those moments? Well, what was hard is not having access to capital. Uh, the cost of money is very high here. You can't just go and make loans to do things. It's, 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 it's a crazy. problem, isn't it? Yeah. So that takes you to um, to uh, considering partners, and uh, that's even more complicated than getting married. And usually, there's no perks like sex, like to get out of marriage. No sex. So you know, uh, partnerships are, are are tricky and and. Uh, especially if you're, when you're the one looking for the capital. So uh, it was hard to try and find things to do that, you know, that you could do with, without capital. And, uh, but I always ended up concluding that, that there's, there's no point in leaving. I wasn't going back to Canada. I'd left Canada because of the cold. I'd left Canada because well, I decided to leave, and and I wasn't going back without nailing it here. Yeah, it was a pride thing, I guess. Yeah, and then the idea of going to another country, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, whatever, uh, I said to myself that wasn't going to work because I'm just taking myself with me, and until I figure out how to make things function, uh, I'm just going to bump into the same. Uh, situations going somewhere else so the grass isn't going to be greener anywhere else so i've got to figure it out with myself and so i just stuck it out that was it have you always been able to maintain a, a, a good strong positive attitude or you know have there been times when you just thought ah, fuck it you know yeah you you ever had those moments or you, you just can push through and, and muscle through them Um, you know, life's pretty good. I wake up in the morning and say, let's go at it. I, I haven't had any major long-term depressions and I can't think of any, you know, times when I was really down and I was, I was insecure. I was worried. I was not sure what was going to happen next, but I don't know. I, I think I'd wake up with a sense of humor 
And it was just, what are we going to do today? What are we going to get done? And uh, so, no. Good man. Now, you're, you're, you're starting to get a, a, a good flow of um, clientele here. It's got, it's got a hell of a reputation, Two Bag Warehouse. And I would have to say, it's one of my favorite places. You know, if, if I wanted a, a romantic weekend, which uh, who doesn't, this would be the place to come. I mean, it's beautiful, it's peaceful, it's tranquilo, the, 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 the view's excellent. Uh, but you, you get a nice, steady client base now. What kind, what kind of people do you get coming to, to, to Bagua? What kind of people are they? Well, um, our clientele grew over uh, around um, North American and European travelers. I distinguish travelers and tourists as... Uh, Travelers being people who are who are uh, exploring the country, and tourists being people who are in the coming for the resort getaway, just relax in a resort. And uh, so this country has not been famous for as a travel destination, especially not in 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 North America. But it has uh, it's always had people coming through. And and so, we opened our doors for uh, for the and our first website. It was about it was about student groups and so on. And but it was it's kind of photogenic the place. We've never had a professional photographer come in, uh, so our photos aren't like you know super wow. But they're the place is photogenic, and it would attract people, and and they would and people would write in and say, can we come? So we started getting a, a flow of travelers and um, we adapted our, our lodging a bit to, to accommodate that. And now we have a mix of student groups and, uh, and travelers. So the travelers tend to be, funnily, funnily enough, uh, if I was to, if I was to guess that people are in education, I would say seven out of 10 times I'm right. Really? It's amazing how many people are, are teachers and working something, doing something in education. And uh, I guess that's logical because teachers have, teachers have uh, I guess more time off than your average office worker. And uh, they're naturally curious people who maybe would rather explore a country than sit on the beach at a resort. Yeah. So we do Makes get an sense. awful lot of teachers and, and, uh, and people who work in schools and, and so on and so forth. So that's, that seems to be a, a, a strong, a strong source market for us. Now you've got this, you've got this amazing view. You've got, you've got really cool cabins that you can, you can sleep in. I always remember what, one of the other things that blows people away when they, they come here is your toilet. Something special about your toilet. What's, what's the, going on? The loo with the view. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on there? Well, we have a, a few uh, what we call palapas, which are basically uh, fancy tents made of wood and, and thatch. And so those are our 
glamorous camping, our glamping uh, component. So uh, being that it's camping, uh, you get an outhouse. You don't have your own bathroom. We do have three cottages with their own bathroom, but this is a different thing. So if we're going to do glamorous camping, you got to have a glamorous loo. Of course. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, we have a luxury latrine. And it's just a, uh, it's, it's just a bathroom, but it's got a view. It's, 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 it's only got three walls and the front is out over the view. And that's uh, something that people get a kick out of. We had somebody come from uh, from uh, Iraq. All right. <laughs> um, somebody who who I guess grew up in a burqa. All right, right. And uh, she was living in, in the states. Now she came with an American company, and she came here and and extremely modest, and. Uh, so when she found out the bathroom that she had to use that had the whole front without a wall, uh, the next thing I discovered was that she was taking the sheets from her bed and draping the... Oh, covering it up. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you'd have no to be in a helicopter see. to do so, you know, to, to be a peeping Tom. Yeah. But uh, so that was uh, how she dealt with it. But she was here for three or four days. And by the third day... No she, sheet. No more sheet. <laughs> she got into yeah, it. Yeah, she got into it. Because it's really, people. I think people find it quite pleasurable to be able to have a shower and, and feel like you're outside. And, and well, it's yeah. liberating, isn't it? It is. It's really it's liberating. Certainly. Now, this area, this whole area is 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 famous for, for, for a few different things. Uh, so anyone coming to the, the, this area would be, um, what, are some of the, what are some of the things, uh, Tim? Uh, that are famous in, in, in this particular part? Well, probably the most uh, significant is the uh, this neighborhood was the home of one artist, one Dominican artist who's considered among the top five in the history of, of fine art uh, in the Dominican Republic. His name is, was Jaime Colson, he died in 1972. And his home was, I guess, a kilometer and a half from here. But he's revered amongst the, uh, in the art community. Oh, right. And uh, we've got some books I can show you. So Jaime Colson is a, is a famous uh, former neighbor. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this highway was, uh, is, is a bit of a historical path because it was the path that was taken by the Mirabel sisters who who uh, were pretty influential in the uprisings against dictator, dictator Trujillo and uh, their husbands they're from near Mocha and uh, their husbands uh, were in the Fortaleza which is now a tourist attraction down on the the ocean front in Puerto Plata, the, the Malecon. And, but it was a jail, and uh, their husbands were stuck in there. They'd come to visit their husbands, and on the way home, they were uh, grabbed by uh, Trujillo's guys and, and ended up killed and thrown off the edge of a cliff further up the road. 
because they they made it. There was a big movie about that, wasn't it? The, the Mirabelle sisters. Well, yeah, the, in the time of the butterflies, which is a, butterflies, yeah. started out as a book. It was yeah. a book, and uh, uh, then they made a HBO made a movie of it, and it's a it's a very interesting story. And uh, I think that October twenty fifth, I think, is uh, United Nations. Uh, uh, it's a it's a day of homage to women and it's based on I think it's I'm now showing my ignorance but it was uh, a homage to the to the Mirabelle sisters the United Nations uh, well because they they were three strong young ladies that took on a that's right a ruthless dictator mm -hmm. yeah so you can there's a monument that you can go visit that's up the road uh, about 25 kilometers now, you've also got a link to uh, Jurassic Park on this road as well, don't you? In a way. Um, also up the road is a, is the area where uh, where the amber mines are located. And the amber mines are, I think, is Larimar or is La amber the national gem? There's these two uh, gemstones that are that are uh, famous in this country, but the the amber comes from here. The the Larimar comes from down in the southwest, and um, but the amber is is uh, is mined up the road. Another also about twenty five kilometers, and um, it's a clear sap that was hardened from trees that. Uh, the sap flew from the trees in very high temperatures, probably a volcano or a or a or a f big fires or God knows what, and uh, they captured insects and so on. And this goes supposedly back thirty million years. And uh, so Jurassic Park, uh, the premise of Jurassic Park was: Can you find um, uh, DNA? dinosaur DNA in amber and they explored and came up and bought pieces of amber from folks we know and and uh, even filmed a bit up up here and and that was the premise for uh, I don't think they found DNA but they did make a good oh, no, movie. No, it's a good idea though for a movie wasn't it and um, yeah I mean that's really cool that the, the amber mines are literally what are they about 20 minutes 20 minutes up the road well and quite a walk <laughs> actually no you don't really uh have to walk very far there's amber mines that cut right under the road when you know where to go oh right right but um it's about 25 minutes up the road and also this area is um is or was and is becoming again a huge coffee growing area and there was a whole what's the name of there's a whole um, village a little town Pedro Garcia yeah so we're on the uh, the northern mountain range which crosses the country from from near Monte Cristi all the way almost to Samana and uh, it goes up to about 1200 feet in uh, altitude in its highest points, and there's a lot of it that's up around 900, 1,000 feet, 
no meters sorry and um this is ideal coffee altitude so coffee was a big business and uh i don't know if it was 15 or 20 or i don't know how many years ago exactly but there was an ep epidemic of uh the coffee beetle borer uh, tongue tie coffee borer beetle uh landed on the scene and started chewing into the coffee and ruining it and uh, so the knee-jerk reaction was uh amongst farmers to get rid of their coffee crops and just do cattle and, and, and dairy and there's an awful lot of that but the result of of dairy is that you cut down a lot of forest coffee is something that grows under shade so there's a lot of green and there's a lot of forest so it gets so the, the whole area gets deforested basically yeah and it turns into pastures and uh and the water tables go down and so on and so forth the whole microclimate gets affected it changes and it's also an effect on on uh, on uh, jobs because cattle doesn't take nearly as many people to work as coffee does so the coffee business kind of went kaput and uh but there was always coffee and especially in this little town called pedro garcia where the very last there was seven or eight uh coffee processing places called factorias in the region and and uh uh, the only one sir, that survived is in Pedro Garcia. So there was always, uh, there was always coffee. The population of Pedro Garcia went from something like 17,000 down to 4,500. My God. It's a beautiful little town, by the way. Anybody, like, it, it deserves a prize for just being the, the prettiest little town without anybody, you know, doing anything to make it pretty. It's just cute. And it's it's almost you know Swiss and these hills and these mountains and well that's and, quite an exodus isn't it what seventeen thousand people down to four thousand five that's yeah. a, that's an exodus that's a lot of families that got word of it and all of a sudden they started flooding uh, Pedro Garcia with resources to grow coffee and uh, it was all around the time when when uh, the, the international market was was the prices were good, the prices were high internationally. And uh, people started seeing a uh, benefit to reinvesting in coffee. So it's all kind of a resurgence that's kind of cool. And then, uh, as you know, we have the, the coffee experience uh, that cruise ships visit. Uh, that's a project between the community group and uh, Outback Safari. I don't know if you know it. Outback Safari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Do uh, no, no. Uh, we uh, received people from the cruise ships, and in addition to learning the whole story and learning about how coffee goes from the tree to the cup, uh, they participate in planting, and uh, those all those plants germinate here in Tubagua for five or six months. This is not ideal. Uh, uh, cultivating ground for coffee. We're a little too low, but uh, we germinate them here. And then these go up and get given to the, uh, to the families that are growing coffee. Because it's not, it's not a big industry where 
it's, it's a cottage industry. It's just families growing in their in their family plots, and that's that's the business, which is kind of cool. So that whole that whole area has been reforested again, and uh... it's on the way. And there's all, there's another project. Not many people realize that the Yassica River uh, is the river that feeds Puerto Plata its water, and it runs from starts in Pedro Garcia and it runs through the mountains it passes us six kilometers from here and it runs all the way down to the ocean just east of Cabarete and uh, there's a dam and there's a an aqueduct that carries the water to Puerto Plata and because the water table going down because of cattle and because I don't know if if uh, uh, what else is going on that could change the water situation. So, so the, would the, do you think the 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 kind of the change of the the coffee industry to cattle? I mean, do do you think that's had a huge effect on on the climate in these parts and the water and all? Well, these I think things? it affects the water table. Yeah. I don't know how if it affects the rain. I don't think it affects the weather, but it affects the water table, hmm. and you know the the water under the soil because you've got uh, just grass growing instead of trees and roots and whatever trees do. I'm not an expert. What are, you, what are your thoughts on all this? You know, cause every day you, you know, if you, if, if you watch the news or if you pick a newspaper up or if you go to a, to a news website, it's, it's very heavily focused on, on, on the climate. But where, where, where are you on, on the climate, on the climate change issue? Because it seems to be, it seems to be controversial seems to be causing all sorts of conflict. But what are your thoughts on that? Living, living, living as we do in, a, in an area of the world that uh, suffers from, well, we get hurricanes every year. We, we've got to watch. There is climate course. and it changes. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, I'm not a scientist. Uh, it's... We see, we don't have to look very far to see that in pockets of territory, uh, it could be a garden or it could be a community. Uh, when too much happens of a certain negative force, uh, things change and get ruined. So um, I'm not going to argue that perhaps. Uh, human beings as they uh, to absolutely minimize their uh, carbon footprint instead of making a big fuss. Mm-hmm. I think we just, I mean, you know, here in Tobago, we have a space for 36 people and our, our electrical draw is equivalent to a typical North American home. Mm-hmm where two or four or five people yeah. could live. Um, I think that's the kind of thing that every, if everybody was doing that, you know, it could it, make a big change. Like if cars are such a problem, then don't buy a car. You know, I think everybody needs to do that. I don't know about whether legislation and, and, and getting militant about it is, is really 
the way to make things change. But I'm not a politician, and I'm no. not a political scientist. And I'm, I'm all for you know. Look, if we can take better better care of the world that we live in, I'm you know I'm, I'm all for that. No no problem with that at all. But you got you got hit by Hurricane Maria. You were on, we were on the edge of Hurricane Maria two years ago, just over two years ago. And you got a little clip from that. How, how was that? I presume you were up, up here during that time. Well, I think it's pertinent to say that um, Puerto Plata hasn't had a direct hit from a hurricane since um, 19, 1898. It's been since 1898 that uh, Puerto Plata has been hit by a, by a, a full-blown hurricane. Sorry, uh, sorry, Phil, I'm so popular. <laughs> I thought there was Hurricane David that... that, that well, Hurricane hit David the, hit the south coast. I'm talking about Puerto Plata. I thought it came through, no? Well, that through? was set in the 70s, yeah. David, before my time, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, Puerto Plata always gets, tends to just, might hit uh, Puerto Rico. It, it, it'll, it'll either curve north and cross over the Bahamas or miss the Bahamas, or it'll curve south and maybe into the country uh, below the, uh, the northern mountain range and maybe the central mountain range, and, and so if it goes south, it, it hits the mountains and turns into tropical storm when it gets to us. If it goes north, it grazes us and we get the edges, which are tropical storms, and that's always been the case. So we can never just assume it's not going to happen, but um, uh, we've never had a direct hit. Our policy here is batten down the hatches. And uh, get some rum. Uh, and well, actually, you know, I just tie down that we just tie down everything that that we can and, and get things out of the way, put store things away, and and then we um, get some rum. No, we we go away. Oh, we go okay. to somebody's. We go to a a house that's you know concrete. We go to Susu and stay some, with some friends. Yeah. And. Uh, I don't want to be here watching the place blow away. Because if we do get a direct hit, that's what everything, I mean, the whole city will blow away. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I also don't want to, you know, find myself getting tempted to try and hold something back with a rope and get myself yeah. in some stupid situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, but, you know, it could and, happen. You know, yeah, our kids are, are now of age, but in the last... Uh, 13 years we've been here, they were younger, and there's no point in putting them through 18, 18 hours or 36 hours of, of gusting, horrible no, things no. and uncertain, uncertainty. And, and You're absolutely right. So we would just take off and wait till, it, wait till it was over and come back. And the first time uh, that we had a, anything substantial happen was two years ago with uh, Irma. And all that happened was a corner pole on the main building, uh, the main uh, living area, uh, collapsed. And so the big thatch roof just collapsed. And, and so it wasn't like we had a full, you know, blow and everything taken away and all of that. That was just one weak 
log that uh, that uh, succumbed. So uh, it was an interesting. <laughs> that was a Thursday when Irma started to wane. Was over, and uh, at around four o'clock on a Thursday, I called our guide that we work with, Wani, who lives nearby, and asked him to come and check this the place out. And he gets back to me and says, the roof's collapsed. So I'm going, oh God, what's going to happen? On Sunday, we have a group of 15 people coming for two nights who have already paid. Sunday? Saturday. Anyway, so I'm going, okay, what are we going to do? They'd already paid. I don't want to lose this money. So I called my roof guy who lives two hours away, said, bring your crew. And I called all my guys and said, get there at 6 a.m. And uh, they dismantled this whole thing. And we cleaned it up. And uh, by the, by f that was Friday. By Saturday noon, this was a big, open, roofless, sunny terrace. Sun deck. Sunday, <laughs> and everything was kind of piled up to the side there, but uh, it was ready for the people, and we received them, and, and and everything was, you know, and you'd almost not think that anything had happened, you know, but we have insurance, and insurance covered rebuilding, and it took about a, six weeks, and we were back on back on track. The day it happens, full blown, it's just all going to blow. But we're not going to be the only ones. It's a horrible. No, no, thing. no. It's one of those things. You, you know, I think we just learn to live with it. You know, and, uh, and that's that's just the way. That's just the way it is, isn't it? Now, listen. I'm looking at the view, and I'm looking. I can see uh, Mount Isabella de Torres. I can see the 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 Atlantic uh, Ocean and, and all these. Uh, uh, vultures and buzzards and whatever that are uh, that are flying around. Now you must have spent a lot of time on this balcony looking out there. You must have seen some incredible uh, sunsets and sunrises, and uh, some wonderfully starry nights. Have you seen anything weird at night? <laughs> have you Have you ever seen anything that you think, "What the hell is that"? You know. Um. Because it would be the perfect place to see something. I'm only asking because I saw something once, you know, and uh, I just wondered if you. If a you a couple of New Year's Eves ago, we were sitting here and 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 looking out, and uh, a very a very strange, uh, lighted. Uh, it looked like a huge apartment building. Above the horizon, lit up, sitting around and just wiggling around and it's always kind of hard to tell what the it wasn't a boat it was bigger than a boat because the cruise ships go by and they're actually not very big hmm. right it was something bigger than that it's very strange so um i don't believe in ufos but it was definitely a, a ufo an unidentified <laughs> flying object so there's some weirdness out there sometimes. God knows what's going on. Yeah, we. I mean, we definitely live in some fascinating times. Now, listen, Tim, we're going to get to the end of it. It's been a real 
It's been a real pleasure catching up with you, having a chat. I've just got a couple of things I want to ask you now, just, just, to, just to tie things up. And that is, if the Tim of today could speak with an 18-year-old Tim, what would he say to him? What words of advice would he give him? Um, you mean what I beat into my own kids? <laughs> <laughs> and they don't pay any attention? <laughs> well, we're assuming that young Tim would listen. All right. But what, but what kind of, you know, what? Knowing living life as you've lived it now and looking back over all of you, what you know, what would you what would you say to young Tim? Well, so my kids are half Dominican. And there's a funny thing that Dominicans do. Um which Whenever something, you know how they say, se rompió, uh -huh. se cayó, uh, it fell, right? It broke. Yeah. Um, there's always a tendency, it's, it's a cultural thing, there's always a tendency to uh, release oneself of the responsibility for what happened. The thing fell. They don't say I dropped it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I came across this when I, you know, living here and, 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 and contemplating things. And I think it goes back to the Trujillo era. I think there's still DNA. You know, Phil, I keep shutting this off and it doesn't shut off. So I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the first one, Tim. This is, so, all a, this is all a learning experience. So I've concluded that Dominicans still have a lot of DNA from the whole uh, period of terror that, uh, that was represented, that, that so many people live, where uh, you couldn't you even talk to your neighbors because you don't know who's going to rat on you and you don't know who's going to come out of the blue or what truck or bus or car was going to drive up and take your father off or so a lot of fear, the ultimate big brother experience. Right. And I think that that's still ingrained in them. So there's this tendency to it's never be to blame or it's to avoid taking blame. It's not a, it's not a, it's not that they're bad people. It's just a, it's just, I think, a, a, a human reflex. And uh, it's always been a priority for me to my, from, for me with my kids to tell them that they have to take responsibility and that it's no longer the Trujillo era and you're allowed to make mistakes, but you need to take responsibility and you need to take things into your own hands and, and solve them or make them happen, or it's only you who's going to solve stuff. And uh, so I think that that's, for me, the the big thing to try and ingrain in, in, in young people. Uh, that's what 
an 18 year old Tim would need accountability, accountability and responsibility. Uh huh. Right. Your last question, Tim, big one, this, if I'm going to enter a world full of magic, just, just for a second, but if I gave you a magic wand and you had one wish, one wish, what would it be? Could be anything. One wish. Multiple orgasms. <laughs> really? <laughs> really, Tim? It's been a while. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry Phil, but I watched a program with uh, Jordan Peterson. He was getting attacked by this British woman on TV. And uh, she was a, a strong uh, feminist, and she was she was just trying to beat them up, and she couldn't get around it. And at the end of at the end of the interview, she said, "Well, uh, what would be different if your life if you if you had lived your life as a woman?" And he sat there, you know, very contemplative with his straight face. <laughs> multiple orgasms and i just i heard that the other day and it's still on my mind so he's a smart fellow right that was a, a just racking up because the whole setting was so serious and sincere and and tense <laughs> and what else right i mean his whole premise is we all have our stuff to deal with yeah doesn't yeah matter who and what we are and you deal with it no, he's a very, he's a very sharp man. He's a very intelligent man. There's no doubt, no doubt. But, uh, she had nothing to say. How, what would you have to there. say? <laughs> she just left it there. I can't think. Uh, that wasn't my own clever thing to say. So we're going to leave it at multiple orgasms, Tim. Let's do that. All right. Well, listen, man. It's it's been it's been a pleasure. This has been the first ever attempt at doing a podcast and doing a, an interview and I appreciate your time and I appreciate you, uh, um, you, your input. And, uh, obviously I've got a lot to work on, a lot to sort out, <laughs> but you can only get better with time, can't you? And hopefully Tim, we can get to do this uh, again well, Phil, when I've got some decent kids. <laughs> it's always been fun talking with you because you're a contemplative person and you have things valuable to say. So uh, I think you're going to do great. And as you get used to uh, interviewing and prompting people and getting things out of people, uh, you're going to have a, people are going to really enjoy it. I hope so. I hope so. You'll it's see by the comments or if you put it on YouTube, you'll get comments. We'll see. <laughs> this is just a trial. Comments have been closed. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Tim, thanks a lot, mate. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. <laughs> Take care.